Jesus is different from all the other religious leaders of the world. Jesus is different from Buddha. He's different from Mohammed. He's different from Hare Krishna. And do you know what the foundational difference is? Okay, it's this. You can have Buddhism without Buddha. And you can have the Islam religion and you don't have to have Mohammed with it. But you cannot have Christianity without Christ. See, a person could take all these other religions that were started by these different leaders and we could appropriate their truths, we could incorporate all these truths in our life and we could follow their example and we could be a part of that religion and we could be in good standing. A person could be a Buddhist or they could be a Muslim, but that's not true with Christianity. See, you can't simply take the teachings of Jesus and you can't take the examples and say, okay, I'm going to walk according to the examples that Christ has led. And you can't take any of that and be a Christian because Christianity is not a doctrine. Christianity is a person. And that's why there are a lot of people that are sitting in different churches all over the world and they're not in Christianity because they're just trying to live according to the rules and the regulations of Christianity. And they don't realize that joining a church is not like joining a club. We join a church after we have become a part of the body of Christ. And you know, Jesus made that analogy when he talked about the church being like marriage. Because when you get married, you don't get a marriage ritual. When you get married, you get a mate, you get a person. You literally become one with a person. Well, when we become a Christian, that's exactly what we've done. We get Christ. And when we get Christ, then a change happens down on the inside and a miracle takes place and we become one with Christ. Just exactly like you become one with your mate when you get married. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Now, other religious leaders have pointed to the way and they've proclaimed a way. But Jesus didn't say, I'm going to show you the way. He said, I am the way. And Jesus was not like the other religious leaders, prophets claiming to tell the truth. What Jesus did, he said, I am the truth. And then he's not like a philosopher who's explaining life. If you get around people that are philosophers, they're ins and outs of life. Well, he didn't do that. He was able to say, I am life. Therefore, you cannot take Christ out of Christianity and have anything left. But that's not so with any other religion in the world. Now, all of those started a religion, then they died, and it was up to the followers to keep it going. But when Christ Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead, and that's why Romans 1 verse 4 tells us that the way that God declared Christ to be his son was by resurrecting him from the dead. Now, if anyone asks you, how do you know that Christ is the way? How do you know that he's the Messiah? Well, the way you know is because he's the one that Christ, that got raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead, declaring him to be the son of God. Now, see, the God of the universe could have resurrected anyone. He could have resurrected Buddha. He could have resurrected Mohammed, but he didn't. He raised Christ from the dead, declaring him to be Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Now, Christianity is a person. I want you to just allow that to just soak into your spirit. I want you to think about it over and over and over. Christianity is a person. And God set it up so that one must come to him on the basis of faith and make the quality decision now to believe that he is the I am. And then once we do that, God begins to prove our faith over and over and over in retrospect. But you know, even before a person becomes a Christian, anyone who wants to search and compare even ahead of accepting Christ, he can find unquestionable proofs in God's word. 
That's what's so good about the Lord. He doesn't mind proving his word. Now, he doesn't let us come along and be skeptical. He's not going to prove anything to us there. But if we come and we say, God, I love you. I know your word is true. I'm going to walk with you. Your word is true. God proves it over and over and over. He delights in proving his word. So for fun today, I'm going to share some things that are unquestionable proofs of God's word. And I think you're going to enjoy this. Some of these things are even from people who are outside the faith. And yet the things they've said proves the word of God over and over. Now you may want to jot them down because they're really good. But the number one proof of the word is the supernatural unity of the Bible. Forty different authors wrote 66 books, and they wrote these books over a period of 1,800 years. And there was one theme throughout the entire collection. Now, that theme was the creation and redemption of man by God through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The same theme now was carried out throughout the 1,800 years, same theme. 1,800 years. Now, these 66 books were written by men from all walks of life. Some of them were kings, some were priests, some were judges, some were lawyers, some were shepherds, some of them were soldiers, some were musicians, some were inventors, some were prophets, there were farmers, there were tent makers, there were doctors. You know, you could just name and name the different professions. Some were rich, some were poor. And this took place over three continents now, Europe, Asia and Africa, written in different ages by men, most of whom never even saw each other and never knew what the other wrote. In fact, most of them didn't even know that there was anyone else writing. And so they had no way of comparing notes to know whether they were all writing the same thing, whether they were telling the same story. And yet these writings one day became one book and there's no contradiction among them. It's all the same basic message, the same basic thing. Now that's phenomenal. Now just for fun, I want you to think about this. Let's suppose that we took 40 men and women and different lands, different ages, different cultures, and we gave them all the same subject and we told them we want you to write on this particular subject. Let's say that we, we gave them the subject of how to cure a certain disease. Some of them would be writing based on superstition from their culture. Some of them would write a very intellectual dissertation. Some of them would use maybe some home remedies. You know, I remember that we'd get sick when we were growing up, and my grandmother had all these home remedies, and most of them worked. And so some of them would write according to these home remedies. Some of them would advocate eating natural food. Some of them would advocate maybe taking certain herbs. Some of them would talk about modern medicines that had been discovered. But could you even imagine all of them coming up with the same theme with no contradiction without having discussed it with each other? We can't even imagine that. You could even take 40 men from the same country, the same age, put them in a room together and give them that subject and you would have controversies and you'd have all kinds of contradictions and some of them would take their time, their writing time, to try to disprove what the other one was saying. You know, because there's really no unity of thought between different people on any subject when a person's just on their own. And Proverbs talks about that. It says every man thinks he's right in his own eyes. And yet there's perfect unity among the books of the Bible. And it's written on hundreds of subjects. Proof that there was one author for all 66 books and that author was the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the Bible was written by men, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's why all of the books now have it the same thing. Okay, the number two proof is its superiority to other books. 
Now the Bible would, it would have to be put in a class of its own because you can't even put it in the category even of other religious books. It doesn't fit in the category of the Quran or the Hindu writings. It's unequaled in its benefit to man. It's unequaled in its circulation, considering the, the time that it was written. When you think about the fact that how it has been circulated around the world, it's unequaled in its popularity. Now, in spite of the competition that's come out against the word, in spite of the advantage of advertising that other books have, nowadays a person writes a book, and boy, they have all kinds of ways of advertising that book. You don't see the Bible being advertised. It hasn't been advertised through the ages, and yet it has spread and spread throughout the world, and it's still the bestseller. More than 30 million copies distributed every year, translated in over a thousand different languages and dialects. There's over 12 different editions alone just for the blind. See, it's the most modern book of all ages, far above even those that have been written in this decade. It's the simplest book to understand, and yet you can take the most educated person in the world, and they'll take the Bible, and they'll study it constantly, and they're still finding new truths in it every single time that they read it. Even non-believers feel like their education isn't complete unless they have at least some intellectual knowledge of the Word of God. Now, no one feels like they have to have some knowledge of the Hindu manuscripts or knowledge of the Koran, and yet a non-believer, to feel like their education is complete, they feel like they have to at least have some knowledge, some intellectual knowledge of the Word so that they can speak intelligently about it with other people. They see that as a part of their credentials. If they haven't studied intellectually, they feel like they're at a disadvantage. It's amazing how the non-believers are drawn to it for various reasons without their even realizing why they're being drawn to it. Now, something else that's quite phenomenal, the more one reads the Word, the more one realizes how far short he falls from being able to master its contents. Have you ever noticed that you'll start reading the Word and you'll think, oh, you know, this is so good, and you feel like you've learned everything you can learn about a certain book, and then the next time you read it, you find something new, and the next time you read it, you find something new, and finally you come to the point of realizing there's no way to take in everything that God's trying to show to us. See, people who study it are always discovering new truths from the pages. It's always new to the one that reads it most. And that's what the psalmist is telling us when he says that the truths are new every morning. And they are every time we search the Word. But that's not so with any other book because you can take another book and if you study it long enough over and over, the contents will become mastered and the subject matter you know, could finally become old and, and uninteresting. Now, this is all just more proof of the fact that no other book can compare to this divine origin of the Word of God. Okay, the number three proof, it's influence on the world. No other book has had an influence on the entire world except the Bible. There's not another book that has influenced the entire world. Wherever the Bible is virtually unknown, you're going to find mental ignorance, you're going to find superstition, and you're going to find just something among the people that keeps them from moving ahead. And yet, any time that the Bible is introduced and accepted, the standard of living always increases, and there's just a mental upgrade. And that's a proven fact. Even the secular world will say that. So its influence on the world is just another proof of its divine origin. Okay, the number four proof is the character of those who accept it. 
You know, those people in every nation and land who grow in the holiness of the Word. Now, I'm not talking about people who just grow in religion, but the ones who grow in the holiness of the Word, the ones who are consecrated to seeking the highest good for other people, you'll find that there's just an elevation of character and an elevation of morals. The moral standards just begin to rise. So what happens to the character of those who accept it is just another proof that it's the Word of God. Okay, number five proof is the greatness of those who accept it. Now, you're going to hear arguments that the word is accepted only by the weak, the young, and the ignorant. And, you know, you'll see a movie and it just it irritates me when I see these movies and they'll portray the preacher as, as being some pathetic creature that, you know, is afraid of his own shadow. But, you know, in reality, that's not so by any stretch of the imagination. See, some of the world's greatest minds, some of the, the world's greatest thinkers, greatest representatives of mankind in every age have openly confessed their faith in Christianity and in the Word of God. There are thousands and thousands of documented testimonies of some of the wisest men and women in the world, some of the most intellectual, some of the most educated, and they hold places of honor and hold places of prestige, and they've used their influence to be able to proclaim Christ. And it's men from every profession. You'll find kings and presidents and congressmen and astronomers and, and you'll find astronauts and governors and historians and just any profession that you can think of. You'll find people who have proclaimed Christ. They've used that platform to be able to preach Christ to the world. Now, as I was doing this research, I found some quotes that I thought you would enjoy. John Q. Adams says, The first and almost the only book deserving of universal attention is the Bible. Woodrow Wilson said a man has deprived himself of the best there is in the world who has deprived himself of the Word of God. Listen to what Queen Victoria said. Queen Victoria of England, she said, England has become great and happy by the knowledge of the true God through Jesus Christ. This is the secret of England's greatness. And when she said that England was great, but look what happened to England. Immediately when they turned from Christ, they began to go, go down, they began to fall. And that's why it's so very important in America that we keep our standards high by continually lifting up the name of the Lord. Because the moment that England quit doing that, they began to fall. Samuel Colgate said, nations without Christ contrasted with those where Christ is accepted reveals so marked a difference that no arguments are needed. Alexander Hamilton said, I have carefully examined the evidence of the Christian religion, and if I were sitting as a juror upon the authenticity of the word, I would unhesitatingly give my verdict in its favor. I can prove its truth as clearly as any proposition ever submitted to the mind of man. Sir Alexander Fleming, he's the British discoverer of penicillin. He discovered a lot of other things. But he was asked, what's the greatest discovery that you've ever made? And he surprised everyone when he said, the greatest discovery that I've ever made is what a great sinner I was and what a great Savior Jesus is. That was his greatest discovery. See, great men of all ages have bowed their knee to the Lord and they've laid their greatness at his feet. So it's such a misconception when, when people say that Christianity is for the weak. Okay, number six, all of man's needs are met by the Bible. 
Now, every promise in God's word has been fulfilled in the lives of men and women who have just met the, met the conditions. And this is true of all ages, even as the needs have changed. See, one could see the Bible maybe meeting the needs of people in a particular time, but then a hundred years later, the needs would change. And yet the Bible is still relevant for every single passing day. Every time a new decade comes, uh, whatever the need might be, the Bible has the answer. It's just as relevant today in the 21st century as it was back in the time of the Dark Ages. Now, no other religion in the world has ever claimed to meet all the needs of mankind. You'll not find another religion that says, we can meet every need you have because they know that they can't. But not only does Christianity claim that fact, but it also has promise that works. It doesn't matter whether the need might be health or protection or provision or you know a ticket to heaven or whatever the need might be. Number seven, the preservation of the Bible is strong proof. There's no other book that has ever gone through all the conflicts that the Bible's gone through. Whole kingdoms, literally whole religions have tried to destroy the Bible and yet it's weathered every storm. You don't have another religion that you can name where whole kingdoms have tried to put it down and destroy it. And yet that's happened. They've tried to do that to the Bible over and over. And yet the Bible still exists long after the enemies have passed off the scene. In the Bible itself, if you'll remember Gamaliel, he's the great teacher in Jesus' time and he was Paul's teacher. And he said this about Christianity. He said, don't fight it. He said, if it's not of God, it's going to pass away on its own. But he said, if it is of God, who can fight it? Voltaire, if you'll remember over 100 years ago, he said the Bible in 100 years will be a thing of the past. Now, I think this must be the humor of God. I love this story because today in the same house where Voltaire lived and where he made that statement, there are thousands of Bibles stacked all over that house. That house is being used for a Bible warehouse. And from that house, literally thousands of Bibles are being distributed every year out of that house. And so I could just hear the Lord saying, you know, oh, you say my Bible's going to be a thing of the past in a thousand years. I think I'll just use your home to store my Bibles while they're being distributed. Now, most books written just a few hundred years ago, they've already been destroyed and they've already been forgotten. But the Bible has come down to us through thousands of years and it has become more and more known over the years as time goes on. See, instead of becoming obsolete, it's become better known. So the preservation then of the Bible is just another proof of the inspiration of God's Word. Number eight, answers to the needs of the soulish realm have, have been presented in the Word of God before man even knew that he had a soul. See, it's only been in recent years that man realized that he was three parts, that he was body, soul, and spirit. The needs to meet for the soulish realm were spelled out in the Word of God before man knew he had that need. I think that's interesting. And of course, we know that many times we can find in the Word of God answers to a need and then we find out later, hey, I do have that need. We don't even know that we have the need before God answers it. Okay, number nine is the infinite depth of the Bible. That's another proof. There's no activity in life that's been overlooked. You know, there's teachings about governmental matters. There's teachings on the home, instructions now to the lawmakers. There's instructions about courtship and marriage and how to honor parents and how the child should obey the parents and then caution to witnesses and 
judgments and sentences and how wives are to manage the home and, and honor their husbands and how the husbands are to be head of the household, directions for weddings and funerals and whatever you might need. The instructions are there in the Word of God. It has some of the most wonderful stories. There's love stories. Some people like biographies. There's biographies. There's history stories. There's war stories, heroic deeds. There's adventure. There's travel. When you look into these different stories, you find each one of them still has the same theme. It's the redemption of mankind. You can see the love story in Ruth, and yet the theme of that book is redemption of mankind. You can see war, one of the, the holy wars, and yet the theme there is the redemption of mankind. So even in these different types of stories that are listed out in the Word, you find that, that God had one purpose. The Holy Spirit was putting across one message over and over and over. There's instructions for some of the most accomplished professional men. There's instructions for politicians and instructions for historians and mathematicians. See, the wisdom, even today, it puzzles the wisest critics. Now, the fact that nothing even vaguely compares to the depth of the Bible is just another proof of its being the inspired Word of God. Okay, number 10, it fulfills prophecy. Now, this is indisputable proof. There were thousands of prophecies, literally, spoken by the prophets, and they've been fulfilled. With, many times you would look at it and you would think there's no human possibility of fulfillment. No way in the natural. 333 prophecies were fulfilled just in the life of Christ. And not one detail of any prediction that should have been fulfilled by the time Israel became a nation in, in 1948 ever failed. Every single prophecy leading up to Israel's becoming the nation, every single one of them were fulfilled. Now that's phenomenal. Men today will make predictions a few days or a few weeks ahead of time based on present trends, and they still don't claim a very high percentage of, of accuracy because they know that they're going to miss it uh, a lot of the time. You know, you can look at the predictions that are made even now on the stock market, say, and, uh, you know, it's just a joke. And that, yet these predictions were made hundreds and thousands of years in advance. No man can predict things hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of time as the Bible did without having one failure of any single detail. And yet, that's exactly what God did through the Word of God. He predicted these things and foretold these things with perfect accuracy. No sane man tries to refute this claim. No man has ever found one failure in prophecy, and some have spent an entire lifetime trying to disprove the word. So fulfilled prophecy then proves scripture. Number 11 are the miracles. Hundreds of miracles are recorded that only God could have brought forth. You know, there's present-day documented cases of, of people who have been cured of, of incurable diseases, and They've gotten their healing simply by believing God's word. Men have been saved from sin and, and then literally they became new creatures and their lives became totally transformed. Drug addicts, and you, you hear testimonies all the time. And this can't be said of any other book. Even secular psychologists say that a person's basic character traits are not going to change, but they give one exception. And they say, except in the case of a spiritual encounter. And so even the secular world recognizes now and admits the fact that if they've had an encounter with God, then it can happen. Now, any man can prove the claims in the Word of God in his own life even today. 
if he meets the conditions. So it's not limited now to, to Bible times. It's just as present tense as it was back in the days of the, uh, uh, the Old Testament characters and the New Testament characters. Now, a lot of people are skeptical, but no man has the right to unbelief unless he's met the conditions and given it a chance. Now, there's a lot of people who say, well, the word doesn't work. But you won't find anyone who has met the conditions and believed God's word. You'll never find anybody that, that says the word doesn't work because they've proved it in their life. Okay, number 13 is its perfection. This is number 12. Not one flaw has been found in the original writings of the authors of the Bible. You know, in fact, the many thousands of copies of the original are found to be so perfect that they prove the perfection of these are the same. And so you know that copy after copy that's the same, that just, that just proves the perfection of the original. Over 800,000 different renderings that never vary from the same important basic truths. Okay, number 13 is the scientific accuracy. Now, the Bible was never intended to be a book of science. Never intended to be that. Uh, but there are so many interesting scientific facts in it. Now, the modern telescope, they tell us, has disproved every single theory of astronomy in the past. Every theory they had come up with having to do with astronomy was disproved as soon as they came up with the new uh, powerful te uh, telescopes. But not one statement in the Bible on astronomy has been disproved. Don't you think that's interesting? In fact, astronomers even admit that the modern telescopes tell the same story that the Bible tells. Geologists from Yale, from Princeton, and some from Harvard. As I looked these up, there were a lot of others, but I found some from Yale, Princeton, Harvard, and different ones agree that the story of creation is in perfect harmony with geology. One of the professors of geology, he said, creation as given in Genesis, according to geology, is faultless. Now that, that's quite a statement. Another says, the more the leaves of the book of the earth are turned, the more they show that this old book, the Bible, is true. There's over 250 plants mentioned in the Old Testament, and botanists claim that the Bible is flawless botanically. Facts stated about animals, there's facts about birds, architecture, and a lot of other subjects, and all of them have proved to be true. And uh, that's just amazing when you think about the fact that uh, science is coming up with new things all the time, and yet they look back and they find in the Word of God that it was already written there many, many times. You know, the explicit instructions that were given to Noah on how to, write, uh, how to build the ark, they've proven now that that was perfect for the conditions that the ark was going to be put through. Uh, we uh, watched a documentary about Noah's ark and they had built this model according to the instructions that God had given. Mysteries about the human body, about the soul and the spirit, mysteries about clouds and thunder and lightning and, and rain and wind and air currents and mysteries about condensation. These have all recently been discovered and yet so much of that has been in the, recorded in the Bible for hundreds of years. In other words, it's been, you know, it's taken men thousands of years to discover what the Bible had recorded all the time. 
Now, the next thing I'm going to share, I didn't check this out personally, but I thought it was an interesting article, so I'm going to share it just as it was written. But Bob Gooding on Channel 8 News, and this has been several years ago, but he recorded this, and it prompted hundreds of viewers to request a copy of the script, and I got a copy of the script. And this is what it said. It concerned a missing day, and it was discovered and related by Harold Hill. He was the president of the Curtis Engine Company in Baltimore, Maryland. And at the time, he was a consultant in the space program there. Mr. Hill related an amazing thing that happened to our astronauts and our space scientists at Greenbelt, Maryland. He said they were trying to determine the position of the sun, the moon, and planets hundreds and thousands of years from now. And in order to do that, they had to plot the orbit through past centuries. Well, they ran computer measurements back and forth, and there was something wrong in the information. They found that a day was missing in space in elapsed time. And so while they were puzzling over that, one of the men remembered that he had read a story about the sun standing still in the Bible. And so they found it in Joshua 10, verse 13, where Joshua had asked the Lord to make the sun stand still while he fought the battle. The Bible says that the sun stood still in the midst of the heavens and did not go down for about a whole day. Well, they checked and found that the elapsed time that was missing in Joshua's day was three hours and 20 minutes. That's about a whole day. It was close, but it wasn't close enough to explain a whole day missing. Because see, 40 minutes was still missing, and even though that doesn't sound like much, in projecting any kind of uh, spatial orbits, that would be multiplied many times over. So this same man now, he also remembered that there was a place in the Bible where the sun had gone backwards. And so in 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah on his deathbed was visited by Isaiah the prophet, and he had asked Isaiah for a sign. And he wanted the shadow to go back 10 degrees. Well, they discovered that 10 degrees is exactly 40 minutes. So 23 hours and 20 minutes in Joshua. And 40 minutes in 2 Kings makes the missing 24-hour day that the space travelers had to log as the missing day in the universe. Now, like I say, I didn't check that out, but I thought it was an interesting story. So I wanted to share that. Number 14. The Bible, historically, is proof that it's God's inspired word. You know, man-made historians, more than a, a generation ago, are just these histories that they've written. They're full of mistakes. They're full of misstatements, but not so with the Bible. You're going to find out that despite the fact that it records things that happened thousands of years, and it describes hundreds of places, it's all being found to be accurate. Everything that's spoken of in the Bible, when it talks about a location, explorers are finding those locations and they're proving it day in and day out. You know, they had almost come to the place of thinking that Capernaum was non-existent except in the minds of the men who wrote the Bible. And finally, they just started discovering the ruins of Capernaum. And now they have a garden over there and it's completely filled with all the artifacts from Capernaum. Jack and I walked through the garden and they're just discovering new things every day. Pontius Pilate was thought to be someone whose existence only existed in the minds of the gospel writers. And they thought that the gospel writers had just made up the name Pontius Pilate. And they thought that clear up until 1961. So it's only been recently when they discovered in Caesarea this large rock with an inscription that was dating back to the time of Christ. And on the rock it says, in honor of Pontius Pilate of Judea realizing then that just because they hadn't had record 
certainly didn't mean that there was not a Pontius Pilate. And so God is just proving his word historically over and over and over. Hundreds of statements, questions by critics, you know, have been proved in recent years. And it's been said that the deeper the archaeological spade goes, the higher the biblical statements go up. So everything that they're proving is just proving the Bible right and left. Now, I think it's interesting that Luke is considered by secular historians to be one of the greatest historians who ever lived. They're discovering now that he's second to none in his accuracy and, and his ability to record history. And who did God choose to write the only history book in the Bible? He chose Luke. He chose the greatest historian who's ever lived. So historically now, uh, the proof there is second to none. Okay, number 15, the universal adaptability of the Bible for all ages and all people. Now, books on every subject that we've mentioned so far are constantly discarded because they get out of date. They become obsolete, but not so with the Bible. It remains constantly up to date on every subject, and it's as valid for us today as it was for the people 2,000 years ago. Number 16, we find that enemies of the Bible made claims that the Bible could be improved upon. But you know, it's interesting that not one of them has even tried to improve upon it. You know, there's not even been one attempt made. Now, if man had written it, it could have been improved upon. All books that are written without the inspiration of God are constantly being improved and upgraded. You know, if you've ever had an encyclopedia salesman come to your house, the first thing he'll do, he'll say, you know, do you have a set of encyclopedias? And if you say yes, he'll say, well, how old are they? Well, if they're five years old, he'll say, oh my goodness, you know, there's just been so many things that have been proven since then. And he'll start trying to sell you a new set of encyclopedias because in five years they're obsolete, but not so with the Bible. Now, no other book can stand the criticism that the word has had, and yet, it's never been improved upon at any time. It's up to date, just as up to date today as it was 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago. Okay, number 17. Doctrines of the Bible are contrary to all human teaching. This impressed me so much when I started reading and studying this. See, the doctrines of the Bible will seem very strange to the world. For example, getting life through death. You know, that doesn't make any sense to the world. Doctrines like salvation comes through grace and, and not by works because every other religion teaches that by works you're saved. Having to lose your life to gain it or having to give in order to receive. See, God's way is so different than the world's way. And all the other religions teach self-effort. But God demands the complete abandonment of self-effort. See, natural men can't understand God because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest man. It's proof of God's word because no man would have come up with that kind of doctrine. He would never have come up with a doctrine that's contrary to his natural self. If man had come up with it, he would have come up with something that sounded right, you know, that sounded right to the reasoning. But these doctrines contradict man's reasoning. Now, after we've walked in it, then it proves to be true. But no man could come up with these principles apart from God. Christianity is the only religion that offers a changed heart rather than demanding a change of behavior. See, a changed heart will eventually change our behavior, but God's not that interested in the behavior first. He wants the changed heart because he knows then the behavior will follow. Other religions start where self-effort begins, but Christianity starts where self-effort ends. 
And that's the difference. I believe that the Bible code is another proof of God's word, but I haven't done a lot of research in that, so I'm not going to try to tell you about that. But you'd be interested in reading some of the books on the Bible code because I think that's another modern day proof of God's word. Well, I don't believe all this. I, I don't believe all the things in the Word of God. Listen, I challenge any skeptic to study and disprove even one statement that I've made. I haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg with all of the ways in which God is proving himself and proving his Word over and over. Now, God does not necessarily show signs and wonders to the skeptic, but he does show proofs and he does validate his word to his children, to the children that believe and the ones that are sincerely seeking. You know, there was a man that called Jack one day and he said, if I come to your church, do y'all believe in miracles? Will I see a miracle? And Jack said, well, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that? And he said, oh no, I don't believe in miracles. And Jack said, well, no, you, um, you probably won't see a miracle then. So God's not necessarily proving his word to people who are skeptical. But when his children love him and, and they're walking in his word, then he proves his word over and over. Now what we've talked about today are just beautiful gems of truth lovingly given to us by our Father. And he gives it to anyone who cares enough to just check it out, to just take him at his word. You know, there in Malachi, we've talked so many times how he'll say, you know, test me in this, prove my word. He wants to prove his word to us. Now, even though the word is based on faith, it can actually be put to the test and it can be proven so unquestionably. You just say, oh God, you are so good. You know, you are so good because not only have you given us all these wonderful promises, but you've proved them over and over. Now God wants us to know that his word can be proved. See, it's not a blind leap in the dark. It is truly a step into the light. And that's how God wants us to see his word. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we love you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that the sum total of your word is truth. I thank you, Father, that every day, Lord, your, your truths are just new and, and precious and wonderful to us every day. And Father, Father the, the further we search into the word, the more it comes alive and the more we find. Lord, there's no way for us to be able to reach the depth of your word. Father, thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that your word never becomes obsolete. I thank you, Father, that your word never becomes old and, and trite. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough that you desire to prove and, and just shower us with, with your blessings. Father, on this time now as we're entering into the Easter season and as we're approaching Resurrection Sunday, Lord, help us to prepare our hearts and to allow you, Lord, to, to touch us and make us ready, Father, to, to worship you and love you and exalt your name. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name.